Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Four years and 208 episodes ago, this show set out with one thing in mind, to lower the common denominator. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, they sometimes are irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on the kickoff of our fifth year. Yeah, we just completed four full years of the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I know I feel better for it. Could be because I've found a whole lot of people like me out there in the world. Um, anyway, tonight, tonight's show is going to be uh, completely special because my guest is Rich Esserman, and Rich and I uh, got together, compared some notes on some things we wanted to talk about and things that we didn't talk about on his previous visit. So 100% dedicated to uh, discussing pipes and pipe tobacco with Rich Esserman. No pipe parts tonight. Uh, will be some uh, music and a uh, quick mailbag and then a rave at the end of the show and a uh, special end of the show message for you for this year uh, for this uh, this final show or first show of the fifth year. Yeah, let's see if I can get that spit out and uh, clearly so that everybody can understand it. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, if you are going to be in uh, Dortmund, Germany, at the Inter Tobacco Show, I will be there this coming weekend. Please come by the Arnold Andre booth. I'll be there hanging out with uh, with the folks from McBaron. So off to Europe I go. Uh, hope to see some of you there. I know I've already uh, Arno, the uh, the Dutch pipe smoker, and I were getting together for a beer on uh, Saturday night. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Quickly, if you get a chance, shoot me and uh, shoot me any comments you've got on your some of your favorite episodes of the past, your favorite guests. Love to love to see what you'd like us to focus on more for the upcoming year. Uh, while you're there on iTunes, if you could please leave us a rating or review, we would certainly appreciate that. So, all right, enough rambling. Let's get the show going. We'll get Rich Esserman on the phone here in just a minute. So sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345 and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and kicking it off for the fifth year of the show. We're bringing back the big pipe guy himself, Rich Esserman. Rich, uh, I wanted to have you back on the show because, like I said when you were on, I had a bunch of other questions for you. You've, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of history that you've actually lived through that only some of us can read about. Uh, so I'm just excited to have you back and have a conversation with you and get through some more of these questions. So welcome back. Well, thanks. It was a great pleasure the last time, and I really enjoyed it. And hopefully this time uh, people won't get too bored and uh, listen to the whole show. <laughs> ah, I don't care if they get bored or not. This is going to be fun for us, so that's all that matters. Hey, good. All right, so let you know you you've been in the hobby now. I mean, you know, steadily, regularly in the hobby for thirty-five plus years. Um, yeah, just for with all the changes going on in the industry now, I'd love to hear what 
you know, what changes have you seen and where do you think the hobby and the, and the business side of it is going to go in the future? Well, that's a, a great question. And, um, you know, I've actually been collecting pipes for about 41 years and I was smoking a few years before that. So uh, I wouldn't call that, I wasn't really a regular smoker, but, uh, 1975, I really began smoking a pipe. And at that time, you know, I was right at the very end of what I call the great years of the big houses. And, um, you know, GBD, Kamoi, and I know BBB went out a little bit before then, and the Dunhill was making some great pieces in-house. And so, you know, you, you had basically, I don't know, about seven or eight or nine major manufacturers, and you had Italians come in, Savinelli being the big the big uh, cheese, and then you had some Danish folks like Previn Home and so on. It was a, it was sort of a mix, but it was it was very much you could say, all right, these are the main brands and these aren't. And then you had some sort of artesian folks out there like uh, Bo Nord and uh, you know Sixon. Uh, Everson and so on, and um, and Mickey, and um, you know those those guys are over sort of in left field. And what happened was, you know, pipes are really, really even when I got into it, they weren't that expensive. Uh, comparatively speaking, even the upper ends, uh, you know, like Dunhill, you could buy a great Dunhill ODA for uh, in the high hundreds, hundred ninety-five bucks. Yeah. And then things radically changed, you know, they really did, because it became tough to get briar, and all of a sudden prices went from being reasonable to gigantic over a matter of five or six years, I would say. It was unbelievable. So, so that started the change, and then what happened is, you know, the wood that was coming out from these big factories, the pipes were not that good, and then you got the smaller folks come in the small artisans. You know, you had Radici and Escorti and Bill Taylor, those kind of folks who basically upshaws were there. And, and there were also other offshoots of Sheraton, a couple of folks who basically sold in England. They went off. And then you sold so the artisan, smaller manufacturer, smaller maker came in to play. And really that's where it's been going for the last 25, 30 years. What what caused the briar shortage? Do you know? Um, well, my understanding is that uh, like uh, you couldn't uh, take like in Algeria, Algerian briar. Things had to be uh, basically made in the country. You couldn't export a lot of different things. Um, the same thing happened, you know, in other countries where people just didn't want to dig up briar anymore. It became something that was not, not, uh, you know, something that people want to do. It's very, very hard work, and so the ability to get great briar went down. And Dunhill, you, for instance, used to buy specific types of, uh, like uh, Sardinia was using tan shells, and you know, Algerian briar was using shells, and so on and so forth. And it was sort of discreet, and the finish was such that it, 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 the briar was used to make that particular finish. And then what okay. happened is they couldn't get all the discrete things, and things got messed up and melded together. So that's, I, I think that the, the reason is, is that, you know, as I say, people just didn't want to dig briar up anymore. So is that kind of the, uh, I guess that would be like the beginning of the baby boomers coming into the workplace in... Europe and Northern Africa, and they were, you know, not wanting to do the hard manual labor like their forefathers were. Yeah. Uh, so how yeah, that, did that's what, that's what I think? How did a company? So you get you get Dunhill, who's sourcing briar specifically for a finish and a grade. Um, I'm I'm guessing they would have just had to have tried to figure out how to make the same pipe with different kinds of, with the same kind of wood? Yeah, well, Dunhill is an interesting case, because I'm, you know, I'm, I was really into Dunhills. I still love Dunhills. Dunhill, uh, the history of Dunhill is a little different. 
because what happened with Dunhill is in the 70s, when they, when they had trouble getting these discrete woods, they also had trouble, let's say, blasting deeply. So they were using harder Grecian briar for their blasts, and they weren't coming out right. And then they tried to change the stain to like a, almost like a blue-black stain, and, and, they, and then people didn't like it. They changed their briere color a little bit. People didn't like it. And so it, it became difficult. To, people thought, well, the quality of the brand was actually going down. It really wasn't the quality of the brand. It was the difficulty in using the briar. But Dunhill, basically, around 1982, I think it was, 81, no, 82, they basically uh, decided to outsource all their production, all the basic production, and do the finishing back in England. Because in England, I believe if you finish the last 25% of a pipe, you can stamp it made in England and you can stamp your name on it okay. without, any, without any legal issue. So, so Dunhill basically after '82 outsourced. They they bought great bowls from different manufacturers. I had a friend of mine uh, who was in the business who actually went out to different factories and actually looked at, at that type of stuff and bought bought the bowls for Dunhill. Wow. So so yeah, and then what happened later on in the in the so in the '80s and the '90s, most of the Dunhill pipes were were, were made outside. And then, and then they uh, basically came back in around uh, the year 1999-2000. They bought a small pipe factory, and then they started to turn bowls again. And now, what's interesting to me is, out of all the names that you mentioned in that in that long laundry list of great brands, I mean, there's uh, you know, Escorti and Radice are still around, but they're more artisan makers and more of a, a small hobby shop. But you have Savinelli and Dunhill, and uh, Peterson is still active. But then you get into more, uh, you know, just an abundance of uh, of smaller makers that are a couple hundred pipes a year, and that's a that's a pretty big thing. And then you have Costello that's kind of in between them. Yeah, Costello Suryakopo still makes about, uh, I don't know, a few thousand pipes a year. So that's true. I mean, so the issue the issue is, uh, you know, um, from my perspective is, you know, what are you really looking for? So you can go to the far end of the, the, uh, the, the place and, and, and look at, like, uh, let's say, yes, uh, Conovitz is just starting to make pipes again. And, you know, Bo Nord made pipes. And those guys made a between, let's say, 30 to 150 pipes, and they spend hours on the stems and everything like that. And you got a Costello, which basically has, in my opinion, some super great craftsmen. They're, they're actually my favorite pipe, uh, other than, say, Dunhill Magnum. And, you know, those guys knock out pipes every day, and they do a very great job. They're not, they don't pay the attention to detail, let's say, that, uh, let's say, uh, um, uh, uh, Lars uh, Everson does, or Nana, or whatever. Of course, their prices are way out of the ballpark compared to Costello. And then, you know, Bill Taylor, again, he was a Dunhill guy. He turned many of his bowls. He also bought very high-quality bowls, and then he put them through the process. You know, Scorty makes a lot of pipes. They have a lot of pipes that they make every year, and they make the Caminetto. And, um, you know, so, so it's a mix. And then, of course, you have a lot of new guys now, young artisans who are basically making some terrific pipes. A lot of American makers, you know, yeah. who are making some tremendous pipes. And they're not making a lot. I, don't know, I hope they're making a living, but they're, they're making some great smokers. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said you know, several times that in in the past three to four years, you can find a really good small, uh, you know, small production pipe maker that is selling pipes between I don't know three fifty to five hundred dollars, and they're making pipes that are far better than what their uh, what their factory or bigger brand comparison is doing at that same price range. Yeah, you know the thing is, what's what's terrific now is, and and I have to say that the Chicagoland show has really helped quite a bit because you know they have a lot of the young a lot of young artisans come and they have the the pipe makers forum before the show for pipe makers and a lot of the old guys and i say old guys people that have been around 
you know, and share their, what, what I'll call their secrets or their, their methodology yeah. as to, you know, how to make a great smoking pipe. A lot of people can cut a great pipe, you know, but it's a craftsman, but then that pipe's got to smoke terrific. And, uh, you know, uh, these guys are, are, are teaching them how to, how to cure pipes, you know, and, the, and how to make them smokable. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about the future, according to Rich. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Ack, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com Fournoggins.com I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with Rich Esserman. And all right, Rich, where do you, where do you think our pipe and tobacco world is going? Where do you see us in the next uh, three to five years? Well, assuming that the uh, the laws of the country don't put everybody out of business, yeah, um, I think that I think that you know we're going to grow because I know there's a lot, of young, a lot of young guys interested in pipes and tobacco, and you know that when I've in my show, my little show that I put on in New York, and I I've seen it there, and I talk to other folks who go to different shows, you know, there's a, there's a lot of researching interest, and right now you can go on to uh, you know, really, uh, 20 sites, and look around, and you can go on to eBay and look around and find almost any pipe that you want. You know, I like going to shows because I actually get to pick up the pipes, talk to the maker, and see what's going on. But I think there's there's a lot of, uh, I think there's going to be a lot more, uh, more artisans come on and, and make pipes. And I know they're, they're sort of forming little groups yep. to help each other out financially and and also, you know, uh, craftsmanship-wise, to help each other out, which I think is really exceptional. They're able to keep their own particular identity, and they're also able to, uh, you know, progress. So if they have a technical issue or there's a problem, they can talk to somebody about it. So I'm really, uh, I think the future is going to be terrific. Now, tobacco-wise, I mean, you were you were smoking a pipe when Balkan Sobrani went off the market. You were you were there when uh, John Cotton's folded. You saw some of these, uh, yeah, some of these great brands go away. Uh, do you? I mean, granted, we don't know what's going on in the future with all the uh, with all the tobaccos that we have on the market now, but. Would the would the same thing apply for the uh, for the tobacco side of it? Yeah, tobacco side is also you know that that that's another thing that it became difficult. You know, if you read actually, uh, there's a little book uh, which I was just reading the other night uh, by a fellow named Herman Lane, yeah. who uh, bought the Sheraton factory and had promoted tobaccos and. Is known their company was known, of course, and still is known for Captain Black Tobacco, which really revolutionized the tobacco industry. Um, you know, those guys basically bought a lot of very, very, very specific types of tobacco, and they would buy from the same place every year, and they would lock it up. And what happened again was that. Uh, like for the Oriental. So some people say when they, for instance, uh, I'll, I'll start by saying this. If you go and look at some of the old Dunhill tobaccos, if you actually get it, if you can afford it, yeah, mm-hmm. those old tobaccos have very, very, very discreet Orientals. They have very discreet Virginias. Now, 
Dunhill used to use what I'll call a base blend. They used a lot of base blends and that comprised a certain thing, and then what they would do is they would add to it. So even though they had 35,000 mixtures, you know, they, they really didn't have 35,000 discrete mixtures, but they were able to really blend things up accordingly. Same thing with, with Lane's, and, and you take you take a Balkan Sobrani. Man, they've had tremendous tobacco, you know, the taste was just phenomenal, and then all of a sudden they couldn't get it anymore. Now, what happened, like, for instance, with Dunhills, when they went to Murray's, uh, Murray's decided that they, they, did, they were able to use, uh, you know, the Orientals and the Virginians, but they used a lot more Latakia. And I think what we found is from, from maybe 1980 on, that Latakia in blends became more dominant than what it was in the past. And, and is that because Latakia is a little more forgiving and will uh, cover up some problems of the other leaves? That's what I think. Yeah. I think something like that. I mean, I know, for instance, also, years ago, when you bought a tobacco with Perique, yeah. you knew you bought a tobacco with Perique, <laughs> you know, because per, the old Perique would just kill you. It, uh, somebody mentioned one time, a well-known uh, fellow, that he said, oh, I smoke." Old Perique tobacco straight, and I I don't believe that because I think you could smoke it straight for about a minute or two, and then you'd have to go lie down. <laughs> so so the new tobaccos, you know, I mean, really, I I have found it. I'm looking always again because I I was able to unfortunately buy some old tobaccos years ago when prices were not so high, and I have a a stock of that. But of course, you can't smoke that every day. So I'm always looking for new blends right now that you can basically, you know, I, and I mix, uh, again, a lot of blends. I'm not going to get into that right this second. But there's a lot of tremendous tobaccos, a lot of very good Virginias right now that are being produced, for instance. A lot of good Latakia blends, a lot of good Balkan blends. And then you age them for five or six years and they become terrific. Uh, is it is it safe to say that you have enough tobacco for the rest of your life? Yeah, uh, yes, I I would I would say, but there's never enough tobacco. Right. Yeah, I would yeah. say, yeah, I have enough. I don't. If I never bought another ten, I think, assuming that I don't live to be 110, that uh, you know I have enough to last me. But I I what I like to do now is, for instance, I, I give you a for instance. Um, at the last uh, about a year ago. Um, Mike McNeil of McClellan's, who's a real nice guy. He's a little gruff, but you don't really know him, to say the least. Uh, he's, but he really, he's, he's got a very, he's got a big heart, and I, I like he and his wife, uh, Mary. And um, so he always gives me tobaccos at the show, you know. He says, here, try this, try this. So he gives me a few tins, and I try them. And most of the time, I like them. So about a year ago, he gave me uh, a tin that was, I didn't. I didn't know what it was. It was something, some Balkan, some Balkan beauty. Put it aside, and then one day I took the tin out and I opened it up, and I smoked, and it was just phenomenal. <laughs> so of course you want to buy more. You want to buy more. I go to the site. I go to every internet place I could go to. No Balkan beauty. So I told him this year at the show. What what is this tobacco? Actually, I called him up and he said, "Well, you know, it's it's the thing I made special for something," and so he started to produce it again. And that to me is a phenomenal mixture. Okay, and you take that and you take Brevia Balkan mixture, which is also another tremendous Balkan, and both of those are excellent tobaccos. So you can find a lot of excellent, great tobaccos today. If you're buying a blend right now. What's the minimum that you're going to age it for before you smoke it on in your regular smoking rotation? Well, first, first, you know, you got to smoke it first to see if you like it. So, yeah. but I, I like to age tobaccos three to five years. Sounds like a lot, but when you've been doing it for a long time, it really, it really isn't a lot. So, if I really like a tobacco, let's say I'll, let's say. Um, one of the new tobaccos that I really like is the Dunhill Aperitif. Mm -hmm. And I like to smoke it new from the can. But I buy, let's say, uh, 20 or 30 tins of that stuff. And I put, let's say, uh, 20 tins away. I just forget about it. 
put them in my drawers, and then I'll smoke the other tins, and then I'll just let them sit there. I'll, you know, I know when I bought them, and then and then uh, you find if you can if you can wait and eat some of your tobaccos for three to five years, you will find that there's a radical, great change. You'll get so much more out of it. I uh, I can't disagree with you because most of what I smoke is Virginia and you know Virginia Periques and uh, for the past uh, fourteen years myself every time I'd buy one I'd try it uh, yeah I'd buy three and then I'd smoke one and put the other two away or if money was tight I'd buy two smoke one put the other one away and just build up that inventory so that most of what I'm smoking now is. Uh, a minimum of uh, four to four to ten years old. That's good. Yeah, I you know, I mean, because a lot of a lot of guys don't don't wait. Well, I I I was buying it faster than I was smoking it, so that made it easy. Except if the wife came after me and said, um, "You don't need twenty of those now. You only need two. No, 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 no. See, they don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's when I told her you don't need all those purses either. But um, oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's jump back because, uh, again, last time when you were on, you mentioned two guys that I think you're the first person to ever mention on the show, uh, Ed Lehman and Jimmy Booth. So if you can talk a little bit about them and uh, and. You know about what they collected, what they were like. You know what they were like, and uh, feel free to give us stories about them because you know I wish they were here to argue with you, but they can't argue with you about them. No, no. Well, that one of the great things I love about this hobby, throughout the, all all the time that I've been in it, uh, is that there's so many really good people, really nice people, people who are friendly, who are helpful. And they're just guys who you just like. They don't have to do anything. You just like them. Yeah. And uh, Ed Lehman and uh, Jimmy Booth are two guys who unfortunately are not with us now. Uh, Jimmy died in 2003 and Ed in 2004. But they really were tremendous collectors, great, great folks. Ed Lehman, um, when I first began to get involved in the ephemeris, and I wrote to my friend Fred Janusik. Uh, he said, you know, there's a guy in Chicago that I think you're going to like. I said, why? He said, because, you know, he really likes big pipes like you. <laughs> so I called him up, and from the moment we spoke, the first minute we spoke, we became friends, and I was friends with Ed up right up until his very last days. And Ed, um, Ed was an interesting guy because uh, Ed, over time, because of the laws changing, learned how to uh, really enjoy his pipe. Now, Ed was a Ed was a Ed was a pipe smoker, and he he had many pipes and he collected pipes for a while. And he smoked pipes for a while before he collected them. And, you know, he'd smoke eight to ten bowls a day because just like many pipe smokers. In the 50s and 60s, he smoked a lot of bulls. Yeah. And um, what ha- what happened uh, one day? He decided to. Uh, I remember he told me the first the first pipe he ever bought was some kind of I forgot the name. But it's sort of a well known pipe, but it had a huge plateau top, and it didn't have very much capacity. But he fell in love with the plateau top, bought it home, and realized that hey, this doesn't have a lot of capacity. But that started him on the road to collecting, and he and I. Uh, Collected basically the same pipes. You know, we liked the big Savinelli autographs. We liked the big Costellos of the day, which are very hard to find. I'm talking now about 1981, 82. And um, it was really uh, a, a tremendous uh, time. And so what happened was one day um, we went to a show. There was a show in 1982. Uh in St. Louis. It was an invite-only show, and Ed and I were invited. Uh, we were sort of on the outer fringe of this other sort of fr- this sort of national clique, I'll call them. And we went there, and uh, all of a sudden, Ed fell in love. 
from that moment on with Dunhills. And he got rid of all his Costellos for the most part. He still had done. And he started to collect Dunhills. And uh, he liked Red Bark Dunhills. Wow. Now, Red Bark is a finish that is not produced anymore. And it was never a big seller. <laughs> it wasn't so, very pretty either, but I guess some people liked it. No. Well, you know, red red bark. Just to digress for a second, red bark um, uh, started out as as like uh, they they wanted to get a new finish, so they made this red finish. It was supposed to be the Briere color of the you know, except in a sandblast. And uh, then in 1975 or 76, they made it into like a pink, a pink <laughs> color. You don't really see that because you know, it's it's strange, but Oddly enough, once you smoke it, it becomes a deep, beautiful red color, but no one knew that when you saw it. And then they went back to the other thing and actually ended in 88, 87 Red Bark production. But Ed loved them. So dealers had a lot of them still in stock. And Ed would say, I'll buy I'll buy what I can get, wherever, what any dealer wants. And so people loved that because they said, Ed, oh, we can get rid of all of our old Red Barks. And so he finally got accumulated, and I still have the handwritten list, about 350 red barks. And then all of a sudden, red barks became valuable. They became in vogue. <laughs> so, so he drove up the market on them. Yeah, he actually, what, what happened, I don't, know, I don't know why they became in vogue, but they did. And then he had a lot of duplicates, so he was able to sell the duplicates at a good price. And then he always loved the Briere, the red finish. And then, and then, uh, but he, I'm just talking about his pipe collecting. But as and I'll talk about him as a person in a minute. But then, at the end of his, as the end of his pipe collecting, he started to get into gold bands. <laughs> and when I mean gold bands, I mean gold bands, half an inch, three quarter inch, fancy gold bands that he had done. He put on all of his pipes. Wow. And you still you still see them at the shows. And those gold, I mean, that was real, you know, 18 and 14 karat gold. Oh, yeah. They weren't cheap. They, no, no, they were they were very, it was expensive. And then it became too expensive. That What happened is Dunhill jumped the price up at a certain point. But before that, Ed had all the, and he didn't tell anybody, though. So he was collecting, he was doing all this pipes putting the gold bands on, he never told anybody. I said, hey, one day he took me into the room where he came to one of my shows in Newark, and he, he pulls out pipe after pipe with these gold bands. I said, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, this is incredible. And no one knew about it. So I said, Ed, you have to show people, because people deserve to see this. <laughs> people deserve to see these different colored gold bands. Beautiful stuff. What did Ed do for a living? Um, Ed was actually a patent attorney. Ed was uh -oh. an extremely bright guy, and he worked for a law, he worked for a law firm that was in business for about a hundred years, and then suddenly went out of business. But he he I believe was one of the few patent attorneys to ever go before the Supreme Court. Oh wow, Ed Lehman. Yeah. yeah, and so he did this for his whole life, and. Uh, you know, the thing, what's interesting, people have, of course, heard of Rick Newcomb. Yeah. And Rick Newcomb knew Ed Lehman when he was a kid. Yeah. Because Ed Lehman Jr., who was Ed Lehman's first son, his first one, he was friends with Rick Newcomb in Chicago. And Rick Newcomb used to come over to the house and Ed Lehman would make him pizza and other stuff. <laughs> All right, let's take another break Later. here, and then when we come back, we'll yeah. talk about uh, Jimmy Booth. So stay with us. We'll be yeah. back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. 
Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show kickoff for the fifth season with uh, Rich Esserman. And I, I, you know, I knew Ed Lehman a little bit. Uh, I don't think I ever met Jimmy personally. So, uh, you know, what did he collect and and uh, what was he like? Well, Jimmy Booth um, uh, actually collected the... Uh, he collected some uh, great pipes. He was really, he loved, he loved straight grain natural pipes. When I mean natural, I mean blonde colored yeah. pipes. Um, I, I forgot exactly how I met him, but he's, he was from the New York area, and obviously I probably met him at a pipe club meeting, and we hit it off again. One of these guys, I just want to say that I used to talk to Ed Lehman about three, four times a week, and he used to talk and email with Jimmy about seven or eight times a week, every day. You know, we always had something to say about pipes or talking about this or this is going on over here. And um, But he had a tremendous Sheraton collection, Jimmy. Jimmy Booth had a tremendous Sheraton collection. And he also loved high-grade Costellos. He loved great lines, with it, again, with a, with a blonde finish. Yeah. And he had some phenomenal Amorelli pipes. Which you from the eighties when Amarelli was making some great pipes, huge pieces, three and a half inch bowls and everything like that, and that's the kind of stuff that Jimmy collected. Um, he had about three hundred and thirty, three hundred and forty pipes, all the high grade stuff. Oh, that's all. And oh, yeah, a little small yeah. collection. Well, you know the thing is, a lot of people, some people that I know you know, have just tremendous, uh, like, over a thousand pipes, whatever it is. But a lot of a lot of guys, like Ed Lehman, Ed Lehman probably had, again, in his top end, 300 pipes. And Jimmy had about 300 pipes. I think there's a certain time and point in place where, you know, Jimmy really started to go after great pieces. So rather than add, you know, a lot of different pipes, if he saw, like, for instance, at one point, which it's a pipe that I have in my collection, I'll never get rid of, he got a uh, 4K Grey Line Fiamata from Bob Hamlin at one of the shows. That's the highest standard grade that, that uh, Costello makes. They might have made six or seven or eight of them over the over their lifetime. And uh, that's the kind of thing that excited him. And one time, you know, we used to talk about different things every every uh, day. And I asked him, I said, so, Jimmy, you know, why do you like this? He, and he couldn't tell me. You know, we were trying to maybe what, what caused him to like this particular thing. He just, it was something that he just innately liked. He was a, he was a really knowledgeable guy. And he used to go, he worked with, uh, with uh, Barry Levin a little bit and with Nikos Levin, his son, before things collapsed with Nikos. But he used to go around and they used to buy pipe collections and things of that sort. And he gave Nikos a lot of good advice about what to buy. Um, but Jimmy, again, was, he, he loved smoking pipes. He loved talking about pipes. He really, really was psyched up. And those are the kind of people that I like to hang around because I like pipes. Now, would you three guys sit there and, uh, and horse trade pipes between the between the three of you and... Yeah, somebody got one that you wanted, or you got one that they wanted, and you'd work out a deal, and pipes would go back and forth? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, because today things are a lot different for the most part. People buy pipes, and then if they don't like them, then they'll sell them to the dealer, or they'll sell them to a third-party seller on eBay, or they'll try to sell it themselves if they come to a pipe show. But in the old days... There really wasn't a lot of... There was some selling, but there was a lot more trading right. among collectors. So 
for instance, Brian, if you had a great pipe that I wanted, then what I would try to do is I would say, well, what do you want for that pipe? <laughs> Not cash, but what do you want? Oh, you're looking for like a Sheraton, whatever it is. Oh, I got one of them. So can we work it out? And then what would happen is you have a collection on the side of what I call, you know, off pipes that you throw in for kickers. <laughs> so you have a share. You have a Sheraton Supreme that I want, and I have a Sheraton Distinction that you want. But your pipe's worth more than mine. What do you do? Well, I'll throw in a kicker pipe, and that pipe will make up the difference of value. Then you can go and sell that kicker pipe and get the money. <laughs> or, or you collect four or five yeah. of those little kicker pipes, and then you trade them for one good one. Oh, if you could do that, that was the best thing. You know, that was an old rule. Never, I never, ever, ever traded a great pipe for three or four lesser pipes. I would say to you the general rule is that when you find, you, you trade a great pipe for another great pipe. Because, you know, it's like selling a pipe that's a great piece, you love it, it's money. And then you're going to scare it, you're going to spend the money, and then you're not going to have anything left. If you get rid of a great pipe and you get lesser pipes, those lesser pipes are going to go and then you're left with nothing. Yeah. Uh, what was the longest it took for you to to finish a deal with somebody? Oh, 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 oh my God. Uh, that I, I would say to you it could be days, months. The, the, the longest that I ever did, the ever deal that I had, there's a fellow by the name of Charlie Stewart yep. who uh, has a lot of pipes and and so on, and he he's always he was always looking around. These guys just had what I call pickers, where where they would say, you know, if you find any kind of Dunhill, you know, here's a price, you'll send it to me. One time, Charlie Stewart got a 1924 Dunhill Magnum. Wow! And uh, I was looking for a 24 because Dunhill had just put out a magazine. Yeah, their White Spot magazine, and I figured I am never going to get a 24. They had a feature, and someone sold it to them for their museum. And two weeks later, Charlie Stewart writes and says, I have this 24 Ben. You interested? I said, yes. <laughs> so, he, so he sent it up to me, and I made him a cash offer, and then I threw in an Ashton Magnum, and it wasn't enough. What can we do? It took about three months. <laughs> Uh, do you have do you have some of your friends still out there now that yeah that that you have a first right of refusal if they decide to get rid of a pipe? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. Um, Me we too. We have uh, certain certain guys who are friends. See, here's the thing. So, let's say for instance that you have a great pipe, and for some reason you just at this particular time you don't want it anymore. But if you sell it to, let's say, uh, an eBay reseller, he's going to put it on eBay or you give it on consignment, and then it's going to go to wherever it goes to. A year from now, you might say, boy, I'd like to get that pipe back. What do you do? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. But if you sell it to, if you, uh, we have a trusted group of friends, and uh, I used to do a lot of this with my buddy Chuck Rio, who's... Uh, a very close friend of mine who uh a Costello collector from Chicago. Yeah. And you know, we would we would say, Chuck, you know, I would trade him this and he would say, Well that's gotta come back to me or I would I would say it's gotta come back to me if you wanna if you I got first right of refusal. You know, if I refuse it, then you could do whatever you want with it, but you gotta offer it to me first. And then this way here you see you can sort of keep pipes he called keeping it in the family. <laughs> Uh, we, you and I have a uh, mutual, f uh, mutual friend in one uh, Fletch Groban of uh, Faders in Baltimore, uh, who you need to remind him to that he needs to come on the show, and I'm not that scary. Uh, but I believe he has a pipe that I have first right of refusal on because I saw him buy it, and it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, Fletch is another guy who I've known now for. For quite a long time, we I think we did meet at, at one of the New York shows and just started talking, and I'm, I uh, I like him a lot. You know, again, I'm, the kind of guys that I like to hang out with are guys who are just interested in 
smoking your pipe and having a good time and then helping you out because they want to help you out. They're not in it for like, I know he owns several pipe stores, but he's a true pipe collector. And, you know, I oftentimes I'll say, Fletch, what do you think about this pipe? To get his to get his opinion on it because uh, he he can give me an opinion that's you know honest and he's not involved in the deal and you know it's the kind of thing that you it's good to have a good to have a guy like that yeah uh, real quickly before we got to wrap it up uh, can you can you suggest pipe brands or pipe makers that you like that are in like an introductory and then a moderate, a medium, and then a high-end price range for uh, for some of our younger guys to look at? Again, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I, I used to do that when I was, uh, I used to go to the New York Pipe Club a lot when it was convenient to go. Now it's, it's less convenient for me for a variety of reasons. But, you know, I, I would tell people, again, this is something that I don't really get into too much dialogue about. In fact, if, when you read my next message in the uh, in the pipe, I wrote something along these lines. Different pipes smoke differently for different people, but many brands have a very high quality of of, of smoking quality. So. You know, if sometimes, so what I would say to you is, look, if you go to, and I'm not pitching them because I don't have a financial interest, but if you go to smoking pipes and you look and you find a nice, nicely grained Peterson pipe, if you like that lip, if that lip doesn't bother you, or you look at a nice, moderately priced Savinelli, those things, they're very, they're good values. They smoke good, you know, and, and you're going to like them. Now, if you move up the ladder a little bit, see, before I tell you what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I could tell you, all right, here's the here's the universe of 15 pipes that you should be looking at. And, of course, now you can't even, I can't even begin to tell you who to really look at. But I can give you an indication since now. One pipe that I like a lot, actually, and I think they're really great, and they're sort of a mid-range now, is a Sir Jacopo pipe. If you like the Italian look. See again, a lot of people. What they like now is they want the they want the Danish kind of look, and so they may shy away from Italian pipes. Or if you want a standard shape pipe, you know who do you who do you really go to? Now I know Ferndown is going under, going out of business because he's retiring. So so the question is is that you know who who do you go to? Uh, it, it's it's very difficult. But I because you really have to say to yourself, what is it that you like? Yeah, and you sort of have to feel uh, for a taste for what is it that you like. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean you have, and then you can sort of begin to yeah. Good. No, you you have you have to first of all enjoy the look of the pipe, and if you're if you're not comfortable with the Italian aesthetic, then you have to find out what aesthetic you're comfortable with. Um, you have to like the feel of the pipe too. If the pipe doesn't feel good to you, it's pretty much. Uh, you know, not it's not going to please you on all the senses. Um, and then I think, you know, I think you're right with starting off in the, you know, Savinelli and Peterson have survived the test of time and you know, continue to put out great pipes in their price range. But then you really have to find the the next step up from there in price range is you have to find the the fit, the feel, and then the taste that works for you and your tobaccos. Well, that, that's very true. And so so to me, like, for instance, there's a Danish company, Nirup Company. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at that, and you can get some very nice pipes for, in the, you know, low hundreds. And they have Danish styling and so on and so forth. If that if that's what you like, then you know that's the kind of thing you should go that you should go after. And again, once you begin to sort of see what you begin what you like, then you can start looking at higher grades. Now I will say, and people say, well, you know, you don't smoke the grain, you don't do this. But I'll tell you what, there is a major difference between some brands and other brands. 
And I'm not going to say this because, well, you know, you buy an expensive pipe, so you're going to think it smokes better. No, it does really smoke better. <laughs> it does smoke better, you know. They age your wood for 10 years like Costello. They age your wood for 10 years. Yeah. You know, it's going to be, it's gonna be a, for the most part, a better smoking pipe than someone who gets it in and six months later just starts working on the wood. It's like our tobaccos. The stuff we like is really good now, but we age it another three to five years to ten years, and it becomes absolutely great. Yep, no, it's true. And I want to just mention something hmm. to pick up on a point that you made. A pipe could be a phenomenally smoking pipe, but if you don't like how it looks, you're not going to smoke it. Yep. I don't care what it is. Yeah, it's just gonna it's gonna sit there. Yep. So that's why you you have to be able to experiment, develop different things. Like for instance, I know that now there's a old there's a very old Italian company. I don't know too much about them, but like the Rossi Pipe Company of Italy. Yeah. Now those people make pipes in the hundreds. Of, you know, under a hundred bucks you can buy a pipe. In the low, you know, in the low hundreds. You can try something like that, look at different styles, see what you think. You can try a variety of different tobaccos for the younger guys and see what you like. And, you know, you don't have to break the bank doing it. No. Rich, we got to wrap this up, but uh, we'll we'll have you on here shortly because I've got a couple of trips where I know I'm, I need to pre-record stuff, so uh, I'm going to let everybody in. Uh, the minute I'm done with tonight's show, we're going to pre-record more of Rich, so uh, you got that to look forward to. Uh, again, Rich's email address, if you got any questions, is uh, Big Pipe Guy, and I can't remember, is it at Gmail? At Gmail. Okay. At gmail.com. And then, of course, the, uh, the New York Pipe Show in uh, Newark, New Jersey in March, which is just a wonderful time of the year to go to New Jersey if you like brown or black <laughs> snow. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah. Rich, thank you very much for joining us. A pleasure. Pleasure. We'll be back in just a minute. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th President of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes, or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and, uh, you know, just a treasure trove of information is uh, Rich Esserman. Uh, you can't miss him. If you ever see him at a pipe show, just walk up and say hi. Rich is uh, not a uh, not exactly a short guy, and uh, usually carrying a very big pipe and just pleasant as anyone else can be. So make sure and, uh, make sure and visit with him. All right, for music, we're going back to uh, Sir James Galway, and this is uh, Play It Again, Sam. It's kind of fun. I just thought it'd be kind of cool for the uh, kickoff kick off of the fifth year. Here we go with Sir James Galway. again. 
some reason i uh, seem to forget my uh, sir james galloway playlist on spotify and I, you know every time i go back to it i'm always impressed with how uh how easy the music is to listen to and how wonderful it is all right we're running a lot long so we're going to skip most of the mailbag we got uh one uh review on itunes from h back h b a k and it says this one-of-a-kind podcast will cover every aspect of pipe smoking experience. Uh, it has accelerated my knowledge, understanding, and appreciation. A must for pipe smokers and for those who are considering taking it up. And not to mention that it's very entertaining. Thank you very much. That is exactly what we were going for. All right, in just a minute, a uh, an extended rave. So stay with us. We'll be back. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Cowboy. Cowboy. Mm-hmm. 
Let me start out by saying I've discovered a new restaurant that I really like, and it's only in uh, central and eastern North Carolina. It's called Smithfield Chicken and uh, Chicken and Ribs or Chicken and Barbecue. Uh, if you're ever coming through North Carolina on I-95, I-85, any of those, uh, make sure and look for Smithfield Chicken and Barbecue. Really good food. Decent prices, wonderful people that work there. All kinds of uh, different kinds of barbecued chicken, grilled chicken, uh, fried chicken. The barbecued pork is good. The serving sizes are perfect. The restaurants are magnificently clean. And the people that work there are just wonderful, as I said. And the food's good and yummy, too. So uh, look for Smithfield Chicken and Barbecue when you are uh, coming through the Carolinas. Uh, the other thing I wanted to finally, uh, you know, I realized in looking back uh, over all the episodes, the one thing that I have uh, really uh, not drawn attention to is uh, is the sponsors that have helped put on this show. These people that are, you're listening to their ads on every show, every episode, those are the ones that are keeping this show going. They're the ones that keep all those episodes, every one of them, up there on iTunes, up on PipesMagazine.com for you. Without those site sponsors, or without the show sponsors, you know, the show couldn't just keep going like this. It's uh, it's not cheap to host all this data and to keep all the information sitting up there. It's an archive, a digital archive, which is what I wanted this to uh, really turn into as an audio archive digitally for the young pipe smoker, the older pipe smoker, every pipe smoker anywhere around the world to have all this information at their fingertips and uh, go back and listen to it. So, uh, you know what, with all that, you know, let's wrap up, uh, let's, uh, let's kick off the, wrap up this show, kick off the fifth year of the Pipes Magazine radio show. We're going to keep going strong. Again, got any comments or suggestions, you can email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page right on pipesmagazine.com. It's real easy to find. It's all there on that computer thing that you're looking at. And uh, to end, to start the, I keep wanting to end it, uh, to start the fifth year, how about uh, Bob Hope to send us away? So, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Rich especially for joining me, and we'll have to have him back. And until next time... memory of sentimental verse nothing in my purse and chuckles when the preacher said for better or for worse how lovely it was thanks for the memory of Schubert's serenade little things of jade and traffic jams and anagrams and bills we never paid. How lovely it was. We who could laugh over big things were parted by only a slight thing. I wonder if we did the right thing. Oh, well, that's life, I guess. I love your dress. Do you? It's pretty. Thanks for the memory of faults that you forgave, rainbows on a wave, and stockings in the basin when a fellow needs a shave. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for the memory of tinkling temple bells, alma mater yells. And Cuban rum and towels from the very best hotels. Oh, how lovely it was. Thanks for the memory of cushions on the floor, hashed with Diddy Moore, that pair of gay pajamas that you bought and never wore. <laughs> Say, by the way, whatever became of those pajamas? Huh? Huh? We said goodbye with a highball 
Then I got as high as a steeple Did you? But we were intelligent people No tears, no fuss Hooray for us Strictly Andrew knew Darling, how are you? And how are all those little dreams that never did come true? Awfully glad I met you. Cheerio, toodaloo. Thank you. Thank you so much.